Well, please remain standing and turn with me, if you will, to Luke chapter 6. Our passage this morning will be uh, verses 27 through 40, but we're going to begin our reading just with uh, verses 27 through 31. Luke chapter 6, verses 27 through 31. If you're using one of the church's Bibles, uh, you'll find that beginning on page 862. Beloved family of our Heavenly Father, this is our God's word to us this morning. Please give your attention to the reading of it. But I say to you who hear, love your enemies, do good to those who hate you, bless those who curse you, pray for those who abuse you. To one who strikes you on the cheek, offer the other also. And from one who takes away your cloak, do not withhold your tunic either. And from one who takes away your goods, do not demand them back. And as you wish that others would do to you, do so to them. Uh, This ends the reading of God's word at this point uh, this morning. Let us ask his blessing on our time uh, in his word. Our gracious and merciful God, we know that you are great and that you are greatly to be praised. And we long to know you and your attributes, your character and your works. And it's these that you have Preserve for us in your word, so that each generation might come afresh and behold your grace and your love and your power. As we come to your word, we ask that you would open our eyes and hearts to behold its treasures. Allow us to gaze upon your beauty and splendor. Father, humble us, encourage us, and strengthen us in Jesus Christ, whom we meet in your word. Amen. You may be seated. I want you to imagine that that day comes, you know, that, that day when your time is up and you're standing before God and he says to you, I have just one question. And at first you're relieved, just one question, no sweat. And then you realize everything is riding on that one question. There's no room for error. You better not blow it. So you brace yourself. And then he says this, how did you treat people with whom you disagreed on Facebook? Because I'm going to treat you the same way. Or he says to you, how have you spoken about people from the other political party? Because that's how I'm going to treat you. Or maybe he says, what kind of labels have you used to describe those with whom you disagree? Because I will apply that label to you and then treat you accordingly. What would happen to your confidence at that moment? Mine would shoot like an anvil through the floor. And that's what makes this passage so overwhelming and humbling. It's not that it teaches us to place our confidence for eternity and how well we have treated others. Praise God. But it does say that how we treat them is important. Treating them well is necessary in bearing witness to a fallen world. 
And so today we're, we're going to look at what is commonly called the golden rule. And we're going to see that it really does say far more than we have often uh, attributed to it or often understood. In fact, my hope is to argue that the gospel teaches us to delight in mercy, even for our enemies, because that's what God does. That's what I want us to see from this passage. The gospel teaches us to delight, not be okay with, (laughs) delight in mercy, even for our enemies, because that's what God has done, that's what God does, and that's what he calls us to. And to see that, we first want to uh, see what is meant by enemies, namely, people who treat you badly. And then we want to see how God uh, has treated us when we were his enemies. And then finally, we want to see how God expects us to follow his lead by seeking salvation uh, for those with whom uh, we disagree, uh, those uh, with whom we have problems. I think it can be hard for us to know always how to apply a passage like this. Uh, We read that opening verse, love your enemies, and we think, but I don't really have any enemies. Uh, We tend to think of enemies in terms of uh, nations. You know, the the Egyptians and the Israelites in the days of Moses. Uh, The Greeks and Troy in in the days of the Trojan War. Germany and, and, well, everybody in World War II. Uh, But who are our enemies? The Cold War has been over for 30 years. Maybe ISIS, something like that, but that's kind of hard and distant and vague, and we wonder, do I have any enemies? What opportunity do I have to to love my enemies? We think maybe this passage doesn't really apply to people like me. But fortunately for us, our passage defines enemies for us. It's those who mistreat you, who abuse you, who steal from you. And and more than that, it's it's not friends and family who do this. It's not fellow Christians. Uh, We're going to address how to love our families and friends next week. (laughs) When it talks about enemies, it's talking about those people that you either hate or are tempted to hate. Those whom you want to suffer. Those whom you want to stand condemned and to endure punishment, those whom you take comfort in the idea that they'll get theirs in the end. And when I look around today, I see people with enemies everywhere. Two people who don't even know each other, who have the same friend on Facebook, see a common post on a wall, and before you know it, they are arguing, all caps, which is shouting, and calling each other, all sorts of names. You listen to Democrats and Republicans vilify each other as if the other was trying to orchestrate the downfall of civilization. And now we have COVID, which has given us new camps, new debates, and new labels. And that gets at the heart of how to know if somebody is an enemy. It's when you resort to labels. Not all labels are bad. Some are helpful, just descriptive. He's tall. He can, he can help me get something off the top shelf. She's smart. She can help me do my taxes and not get audited. There are, there are kind labels. 
But often labels are just a means of dehumanizing someone so that we don't feel obligated to interact with and treat that person like they're real and made of flesh and blood. Labels are our attempt to reduce people down to objects. Oh, she's a liberal. Oh, he's irrational. Have you ever heard yourself refer to someone you've known for years as that person? If I don't use his name, I don't have to treat him like a real person. I can reduce him to a nameless thing. I can mistreat him and I can seek my vengeance. In our passage, enemies refer to individuals who have hurt you and you want to suffer. Those with whom you don't want reconciliation. Those you don't really want to be forgiven. And it's these that Jesus says you should love. And we say, you want me to what? (laughs) But you heard Jesus right. He says, I want you to love them. But we're smart, we're crafty, aren't we? So we respond, well, I can't just manufacture feelings out of thin air. Love, you know, love's involuntary, Jesus. And he laughs at us. And he says, that's something you made up, not me. I'm not obligated to believe it. Jesus explains exactly what he means by loving our enemies, doing good to them, praying for them, seeking their blessing. He says, regardless of how you feel, show kindness, seek their good. If someone strikes you on the cheek, offer the other. If they steal one thing, let them take a second. If they borrow money and fail to pay it back, don't take them to court. And this list isn't meant to be exhaustive, nor is it meant to to teach that anyone who asks for money should be allowed to drain your bank account. Rather, it's talking about a general disposition towards those who mistreat you, and it should be a disposition of kindness and mercy. It should be seeking their blessing. A few weeks ago, we looked at, at the preceding passage, which talked about blessings and curses. Blessings for those who seek God, those who are defined uh, by belonging to him, and curses for those who reject him. Uh, and, and, and that is good, and that is just. But there's a risk when we hear that, thinking that God is teaching us to seek his curses for others and to delight in those curses. We all run the danger when people, especially non-Christians, treat us badly of finding some sort of comfort in their coming judgment. And Jesus says, that is dead wrong. He says, as you wish that others would do to you, do so to them. It's the golden rule. We all know it. We all quote it. And we all know how to manipulate it for our benefit. We say things like, well, I like it when people are blunt with me, so I'm blunt with them. It's, you know, it's the golden rule. We say things like, I don't mind when people yell at me, so I'm not doing anything I'm not willing to take myself. Or we turn it around and say, well, he did the same thing to me, so why is he surprised I'm doing it to him? You know, it's the golden rule. And Jesus is, is not saying, you are the standard of how the entire world should treat each other. 
That's not what he's saying. He's saying, you like to be treated with kindness and respect, and so do others. But even this falls short of what's really going on. Because again, this this passage is tied to the passage before it on on blessings and curses. And, And in that passage, what did we see? We saw that there are people who are defined by the riches of this world, and they forfeit heaven. And there are those who are poor in the world's eyes, and they are heirs of God's heavenly kingdom. And the blessings Jesus has in mind here when he says, pray for their blessing, the blessings he's telling you to seek is salvation. The salvation of your enemies. He's saying when people mistreat you, when they strike you because they have no peace, when, when they steal because their hope is in their earthly riches, when they place their possessions above their integrity, your heart should break for them. And you should have compassion on them. And you should seek my mercy in their life. But he doesn't stop there. He goes on and he explains why in verses 32 and following. So let's read those. If you love those who love you, what benefit is that to you? For even sinners love those who love them. And if you do good to those who do good to you, what benefit is that to you? For even sinners do the same. And if you lend to those from whom you expect to receive, what credit is that to you? For even sinners lend to sinners to get back the same amount. But love your enemies and do good and lend, expecting nothing in return, and your reward will be great, and you will be sons of the Most High. For he is, king to, uh, he is kind to the ungrateful and the evil, but merciful, sorry, be merciful, even as your Father is merciful. Judge not, and you will not be judged. Condemn not, and you will not be condemned. Forgive and you will be forgiven. Give, and it will be given to you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over, will be put into your lap. For with the measure you use, it will be measured back to you. He also told them a parable. Can a blind man lead a blind man? Will they not both fall into a pit? A disciple is not above his teacher, but everyone, when he is fully trained, will be like his teacher. First, Jesus reminds Uh, those to whom he's speaking, of what the world is like. The world loves those who love them. The world is good to others when it benefits them. They lend money for a profit. They interact with others based upon how it benefits them. I I had an atheist explain to me where he believed uh, the idea of love and kindness and benevolence came from. He says it was something like this. Someone long ago went hunting, killed an animal, and then he realized, if I just eat this to myself, for myself and I don't share it with those in my village, when they f- hunt and kill an animal, they won't share it with me. And so if I share it now, in the future, they'll feel obligated to share with me and I'll keep eating. But of course, that sounds selfish. So rather than to admit the selfish reason, he lied and said, I'm just being kind. This is called love. And... and Love, then, really, is just uh, our invention of a way to make our uh, manipulative selfishness kind of sound nice. 
Jesus says, no, that's not what love is. He defines love in verse 35 when he says, love expecting nothing in return. Lend expecting nothing in return. What he's calling you to is something that is not simply asking, how will this benefit me in the future? He wants you to ask, how will this benefit others, even those who don't deserve it? And then he goes on to explain why. Because this is how God has treated us. Verse 35, God is kind to the ungrateful and the evil. From the earliest pages of scriptures, we see this to be true. He has been showing kindness to those who do not deserve it. He calls Abraham out, not because Abraham's done anything better than anyone else, but because he decides to show him mercy. Over and over, he tells Israel, I've chosen you not because you were more righteous than the other nations or stronger than the other nations or, or more wealthy. The opposite, just to show you that it's my grace and my kindness and my love. But his love becomes most visible in sending his son into this world to save his enemies. We heard this in our our declaration of pardon this morning. Pastor Brian read to us from Romans 5, verses 8 and 10. Let me read it again. God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. For if while we were his enemies... We were reconciled to God by the death of his son. Much more now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life. Jesus did not come into this world to save those who treated him well. He didn't give his life to pay our debt in hopes that we would one day be able to pay him back. We have been nothing but enemies to him and we will always remain so unless he did something. If he was going to bring peace, it would not be by returning tit for tat for everything we had ever done. It would be by turning the other cheek. And so think about how he's treated while he's on this earth. He has no riches, but what he does have is taken. He's lied about and then he was slapped, spit upon and struck on the cheek. But rather than calling down judgment on them, he doesn't demand justice. And even uh, if you read uh, the, the, the accounts on the cross, it says his cloak was taken and, and they started to gamble for it. And then they took his tunic as well. And as they did, he prays, Father, forgive them. Father, forgive them. That's the goal. Mercy, grace, and salvation. Well, according to verse 40, your goal is to be like Jesus. A disciple, when he's fully trained, will be like his master. But you can't be like Jesus and not have a heart for those who are under the sentence of condemnation. Those who don't know the peace of trusting in Jesus. Those who are at war with their own creator and those who can't stop doing things that hurt themselves. Love for the lost isn't just a feeling. It's demonstrated in actions. And it means not responding every time someone insults you. It means not always demanding justice. Not counting every penny as if your identity was dependent upon your bank account. And sometimes you show the world that you're more 
than your comfort by turning the other cheek. Sometimes you show them that you're more than your possessions by giving them more than they demand. Because anything else is to walk as the world walks, to think as the world thinks, and and to see as the world sees. And yet the reality is this world is blind to eternal things and to better blessings. And if you walk as the world walks, you walk in blindness. And if you walk in blindness, you can't lead them out of theirs. That's what Jesus says in verse 39. If you want to lead people out of darkness, you can't walk in it. You can't be defined by the things of this world. You must be defined by the mercy of God. You must be merciful as your heavenly Father is merciful. You can do all of this because Jesus has first done it for you. And so God calls you to treat your enemies as he has treated you. And when you do, he will give you the title bestowed upon Jesus in chapter 1, Sons of the Most High. He promises, judge not and you will not be judged. Condemn not and you will not be condemned. Forgive and you will be forgiven. God promises that those who show love will be shown love. He promises that that you can let go of your earthly possessions and your earthly comfort, trusting that he will make sure your generosity does not go unanswered. He says you can give up your goods, trusting that, that God will repay you. And we know how this verse, is, or this idea has been abused by charlatans that say, if you give the church $100, God will make sure you get 1000 That's just a lie told by blind men leading blind men into pits. From the start, God has always told us to store up treasures in heaven, not on earth. It says to seek the treasures which can't be destroyed by moth, rust, or stolen by thieves. And Jesus says, God will pack your eternal blessings in. If you've ever, ever measured something out into a, a cup or a, or a jar or a can, you know you can fit more in if you shake it. And then pack it down. He says, that's what God does with his eternal blessings. And then it still spills over the top. God says, you can show kindness to your enemies and he'll make sure you're repaid in abundance with his kindness. All of this is to say that the gospel teaches us to delight in mercy even for our enemies because that's what God does. And nowhere is that made more visible than, than in the Lord's Supper. You see, a meal is special. You don't invite enemies to your dinner table. It's, a meal is for fellowship with those you love. The fact that the Lord shares a meal with, with us tells us that, that we are no longer his enemies, that he has replaced condemnation with forgiveness, and that there, where there was justice, he has offered mercy. 
The Lord's Supper is proof that God has loved his enemies and done good to those who hate him. And so it is the table of the reconciled. Enemies who have found peace. But that reconciliation and peace goes beyond you and God. You're not the only one he invites to the table. There are others who have not just hurt you, but have hurt God as well. And God says, if I'm willing to forgive them, you must be willing to forgive them. And so this table is is meant to teach us what it means to delight in mercy, not just for yourself, but for your enemies as well. It teaches you to see that the only label that really matters is the label forgiven. Because the greatest gift is forgiveness. And some gifts are too great not to share. And so through this meal, Jesus calls you to love your enemies and to pray for those who mistreat you. So I have to ask Pastor Brian uh, and the elders to come forward that we might receive uh, this gift this morning. Please join me in prayer. Our Most High God, you know our hearts and how we crave mercy for ourselves and justice for those who offend us. Forgive us. And more than this, teach us to be merciful as you have been merciful. To seek the blessing and salvation of those who have been unkind, those who have robbed us, those who have abused us. For this is what you have done for us in Jesus Christ. And we want to be sons and daughters of the Most High. We want to forgive as you have forgiven us. Transform us, change us, make us more like Jesus, we pray. Amen.